Good Friday, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Wassail. Uh, today, again, we are with uh, Mudassir with us, uh, our co-host number one, and we're going to be trying our best to explain utopian societies and why they are not the right way to think about societies. So this will be another addition to our long list of difficult conversations that we are here trying to make easier in, at Wassail. So, Mudassir, how are you doing? I'm doing perfect. Yes. I like that I'm number one co-host. <laughs> well, we have four. And, well, not officially, you're number two. Asad was the first one who recorded with me. So that is true. That is true. But uh, before we begin, I really like this idea Mudassar posted about, uh, before we started recording, was that about how do we come up with our topics, right? So the idea is that we were discussing in our discussion group. So we have a discussion group where we, all of us try to discuss and uh, argue and learn from each other and what we were trying to do basically was we we're trying to understand how Imran Khan not being able to now be in power that is going to be a, like very bad for society and somehow we're going to be struggling and Pakistan's going to stay a mess and uh, we do not agree with that notion because we do not think it's that easy that the best way for a society to be uh, society to improve is to just rebuild from scratch, but rather than do some iterative improvements. So, what are your thoughts on the top? Uh, I think, again, like you said, uh, we came up with the idea because of the recent things that has been happening with Imran Khan uh, and how that led me to think that people thinking that it's the end of the world, people being its supporters, uh, that led me to think maybe we're so hyper-focused on making things, uh, uh, doing things in such a perfect way, we lose sight of the small improvements that we can have. Again, that's a separate debate whether him coming back into power would have been good for Pakistan or not. But the fact that there can be other ways to uh, change things and they can, they might be small or they might, the influence of theirs that uh, would not be as big as something as big as changing a leader would be. But I think it's very important to take the society in the direction where we focus on the small things that we can do right now rather than uh, being hyper-focused on that perfect uh, ideal society. As Indeed, and I think the biggest problem with that, as you mentioned, is we become stuck, right? So because of this idealism, we're always stuck in this limbo where we're not really planning to do anything. We're just like, ah, he didn't come to power and bus, life is over and now we just have to wait for this four years to pass before we can do some, think about doing something. And that kind of mentality is is crippling because you're not planning to move. You're just willing to stand and, and drown because you're like, it's all in or nothing. And you know how we feel about all in or nothing here in, at Vassal because it's never binary, right? We talked about it in our previous conversation about nuance as well. It's never binary. It's never one or zero. There is a whole spectrum of things that we can discuss. There's a whole spectrum of things that we can do. So you were giving examples of how in the parliament they're still trying to uh, counter some uh, egregious uh, things that we're, uh, policies we have in place for women. And uh, it might not be tomorrow that we're going to have complete women's, women's rights in Pakistan, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Like I completely understand why, uh, especially if it's coming from a woman, uh, the kind of, uh, oppression there is on them and minorities and vulnerable groups in general. I understand why they would want to change the system as a whole, but it's also important to focus on the small goals that we can achieve right now. So uh, what I was talking about uh, before we were recording was that uh, there was a, this thing called the two-finger test. 
that is a horrible colonial thing that we've carried forward and that's not the right thing to not the right way to judge whether a woman or anyone for that matter has been raped or not so what they did was use do they use that test to certify whether that person has been or mainly woman because again that virginity uh, is only for women so yeah so that is how they used to check it now that they've removed it it's again the things that need to be done are much more and uh, things are still very very complicated and it's the harsh reality but a, a major thing has been subsided because of this amendment in the uh, constitution so again uh, focusing on the small victories we can have today is very important rather than again uh, being misguided by i wouldn't say misguided but like uh, having living in the illusion that we'll change the system as a whole and not doing things right now yeah i i agree with you about this concept of making iterative changes in 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 agile so the way working that i work with in in companies there's this concept called agile and scrum in which it's a project management technique and you what you try to do is you try to break whatever you want to have like a big goal like build a mobile app or something right and you break it down into these sizable chunks they call epics you're like okay so this is like creating the front end or building the back end connection or whatever and then you break down into sizable stories and then you try to iterate on them as slowly as possible like as fast as possible based on these time boxes like okay two weeks i'm going to deliver something in two weeks i'm going to deliver something much better than having a project where you do a lot of research and you basically it's called the waterfall project right you make the whole research you do the analysis you do the budgeting and then you go like okay by the end of six months we're going to give you a project you're going to love but six months later the project is not even what they want in this case every two weeks you keep coming back and you're like are we going in the right direction is this something i really am in favor of is this a mobile app that i really want to see or we should pivot fast i think that mentality i really apply to life i'm like we need to move fast we need to move fast and we need to always make iterative changes because sometimes we just stuck waiting you know you know what next month i'm going to start dieting because next month is going to be a new month and suddenly things are going to change suddenly i'm going to do something so it's like you know what i'm going to wait for the next election there i'm going to vote for ibran khan there the changes are going to start coming in although this first 100 days in office there were not really many changes there were that's a separate debate but people waiting for that uh, do over is is very annoying because there is no do over life is continuous you don't stop if you if you start dieting today or you start dieting at the end of the month nothing changes right and and that's exactly the problem society has that we instead of instead of trying to go for those little victories we want to start new projects there's this very famous uh, word in uh, in scrum and i use this in a previous conversation with finn as well it's called stop starting start finishing right and the idea is that stop making these big big and gregarious claims that you know what we want to burn the system down we want to bring human rights or women's rights or whatever that this country cannot move forward without that and start finishing those little little things start building schools where children girls can get educated you know finish those things that are already in place like those parliamentary uh, parliamentary policies that are being coming on board but no one is really pushing them forward instead of coming up with new new things every single time to do because trying to reach that ideal sometimes becomes very hard to, and that is exactly why it's called ideal right it's a utopian for a reason yeah Yeah, this actually reminds me the dieting thing you talked about. This is something I actually personally experienced. Uh, I've been wanting to diet for a long time. I've been wanting to get into shape, start exercising and stuff. But it's only when I started to appreciate myself for doing the small things. I, what I did was I just started cutting on snacks. I started, I just made a goal that I'll have to walk every day. That is something that just made, helped me start sooner. otherwise i it would have taken a lot more time and then my i might have slowed down or finished uh, uh, sooner 
but I did start and I didn't manage to uh, lose a lot of weight. So yeah, absolutely valid example. Also, I was uh, watching uh, Barack Obama's interview with Justin, uh, which by the way, I heard about it. I was very interested in it, but I didn't see it yet. I didn't watch the entire interview. I watched like half of it. Like, bro, what he was talking about, like, a lot of the conversation was centered around climate change, or at least the part which I watched. Uh, what he said, and I kind of agree with him as well. He said that a lot of people are anxious about it, and they're very concerned that, like, they're, they know for sure that we might never achieve it. Like, we might not achieve the two degree goal, like, minimizing it to two degrees. But, might do it for at maybe three degrees. Again, that's not ideal. What it would do is it would save a lot more lines. It would be the it would be the difference that uh, Bangladesh pounds in water or not. It could be the difference of losing a few hundred lives. Again, it's not ideal that we lose a hundred a few hundred lives, but it's still better than losing a million lives. So again, focusing too much on that goal and what happens is when you focus on goals that are very unachievable you sometimes lose your motivation. So if we were so hyper-focused on that two-degree goal, we might lose of the of the motivation to achieve something at least. So if we're uh, conscious enough to do something, I think we might still end up doing more good than than harm. So it's important to uh, like appreciate those small goals and stay motivated. I, I agree 100%. But here's the issue, Anwar. When you are talking about these small things and these iterative goals and, you know, trying to build over each other, that doesn't really work well in, in, in well, officially and technically should work well in a democracy, right? That's the whole point. It's every five years that you're iterating about the previous government. But organizations these days are trying their best not to let the, like, not to build upon other people, but try to break the previous regime and then make a new regime and say that the previous regime was doing it incorrectly, right? They try to sell you this utopia that I will fix everything that the previous regime has gone wrong instead of acknowledging the fact that, you know what, they did their part, what they could, but I feel like we can do this better because in the end, it is a continuous thing, right? That's the whole problem that if you are a regime that focuses on climate change, the previous regime focused on infrastructure. A good example in Pakistan, with Nawaz Sharif focused a lot on infrastructure, right? And Imran Khan focused more on maybe debt or uh, uh, what do you call it, the current account deficit and all of that stuff corruption. and corruption as well yeah that was a very big deal that he did so th- th- it is not separate it is it is and and just because he worked on infra- infrastructure and you're working on corruption doesn't mean that his infrastructure is bad now but he would say it like that he would he would make it sound like okay he didn't do anything because look at the corruption levels and i'm gonna fix that yeah but what about the infrastructure stuff that he did you need to build upon that right you need to build upon that the goals that he made and now you use your time and your policies to do something different but you need to acknowledge the fact of the work that they did and this concept of not acknowledging because you want to sell the utopia to the people you're like i'm your savior and i know this perfect society how do we deal with that in a democratic way i think um this alone is a huge conversation in itself but i'll try to narrow it down as much as i can uh first of all the nawaz sharif example i think it's different in a way that uh what Imran Khan was committing was uh, a kind of one-size-fits-all. What he said was uh, eliminating corruption would lead to other things being fixed. And that's like a, a, a golden pill that you take and everything would be fixed. Again, there's a lot of nuance in there and that involved as well. 
and I, I wouldn't go too much into the details. But again, the the thing that is constant in the both the countries, even though like the GDP levels and the education levels are vastly different, is the understanding of the average person about how the economy works, how about how the uh, politics work. Again, this is sort of related to our nuanced uh, discussion as well. Because when the average person doesn't understand these intricacies, they, they're not well aware to make the right calls. So again, when one politician sells you that, uh, one politician is selling you climate change, uh, the other politician is selling you economy. So it's because there's so much polarization in the society. If we're striving towards a society that's educated enough and they can understand what uh, decisions they make and how the impact would be, uh, on the eventual policy, I think better judgments would come out. So it's important to educate these masses rather than being focused on how uh, we can change the policy makers. Again, because they'll try to sell the utopia. It's because that the average uh, person isn't educated enough or aware enough to understand the intricacies of politics. So it's important to work on that uh, scale, I think. So again, uh, I'm not saying that that again is fixable very soon but we can still take small steps we can indulge in politics on a more uh, societal level in the sense that uh, you can work on it on a neighborhood level on the politician that is standing from your cons uh, constituency so we can take small steps that can still be make a huge difference eventually that's what i mean. yes i and i think here is where we digress a little bit, like, uh, I mean, diverge a little bit because we talk about it, the individual contribution versus societal contribution. I'm always on the on the institution level, right? That I believe that institution can bring more change faster than, than an individual. Mm -hmm. But so, a thing like education cannot be institutionalized, right? It has to be something that the masses has to do. Like, and yeah, the institution can support them, but in the end, if someone is not selling their, sending their kid because they're earning more from child labor, for example, and they need the immediate money, it's going to be very difficult for a poor country to tackle that because the poor country cannot just give money to the father or the mother that sent the kid to school and we're going to pay you for it. So it is it think, it is a thing that takes generations. So I do understand why you want to do it on a micro level first so people can bring awareness. But I really feel like there is, we can do more with an educated society than we can't. Although there's a caveat, we have a topic of discussing about uh, the people from the United States. That's relatively more uh, educated uh, uh, population, but still they struggle with the same issue. And that's exactly what I want to talk about. Now, this this anecdote might not make sense to you, but this will make sense to one of my friends, Ahmed, who I use, who I play a lot of civilization with, right? And in civilization, the game the game basically is that you're building a civilization, and there's a policy. You have a government, and there's the policies that you're doing. Now, your civilization is always judged on very similar things, right? Okay, the amount of science you're producing, your faith you're producing, your gold you're producing, and the production you're producing, right? The bare minimum and the technology and everything. But how you put the policy cards determines what the output is going to be. Right, and you have to balance that game out. And I feel like what we're struggling with as an educated society as well is we're not uh, we're not able to discern how policy is related to the output that we're trying to measure. Right? People try to pick everything into GDP, but that's not true. You and I both understand that GDP is this idealistic measure that doesn't make sense because it's only talking about production. It's only talking about consumption. It's not really talking about the stuff that can be more sentimental or stuff that doesn't need to be focused on production and, and consumption like uh, vaccines, for example. The research and development aspect of technologies, for example. So 
in civilization, when you put in a card, there's this very nice mod that tells you if you put this card in, this is how much impact you're going to have across your empire, like minus this science plus this faith minus this gold plus this production. And it tells you a very unilateral view that, okay, this policy is going to have this effect. And I feel like that's what we're missing as a society. We don't have, in a democratic institution, we don't have anyone telling us the overview of what's happening. Rather than everyone is running for their agenda. If you talk to the Ministry of Climate Change, they're going to only talk about climate change problems. If you go to the Ministry of Technology, they're only going to talk about technological problems. No one is telling us the complete picture. Every government that comes with, comes with their own agenda, right? Imran Khan came with corruption. Nawaz Sharif came with likes that there will be no load shedding by the time I'm in charge, right? I, I remember that kind of thing that happened. So everyone is coming with their agenda, but your people need to be on board with your agenda and you need to provide a very transparent picture of what you're working on. And I think that's really, really missing from, from a society. What, what are your thoughts about that? Even with an educated class. Yeah, again, uh, even with an educated class, because it's so complicated, um, again, uh, coming from Pakistan and uh, following Pakistan's politics very closely, uh, I, I would give you the example of what has been happening for the last two or three years. A lot of things that have happened as like, the, it involves a lot of knowledge about the law, what goes on in court, what rights do they have and stuff like that. So I, I understand why it gets very complicated for the citizen. But there are things like, again, uh, with the with things like climate change, I don't think it's as complicated uh, complicated as it's made to be. Uh, there are a few things that can be very simple. It's a fact that we have to cut down carbon emissions. Again, it's very debatable the way you, we do it. You like you're right when you say that. How can we educate the child that's going to school in a third world country? I understand that it's complicated in that way, but at least. Uh, the the faction of society that still doesn't believe in climate change, that is the alarming thing. I think at least starting on that and building upon those things is important. It's very, uh, very uh, easy to like, get lost in these intricacies, but it's also important that we stay focused and achieve the small goals that we have. Uh, I think a lot of the things can be simplified. Uh, we can start to do it with our own friends and people around us. Again, I'm the one who who's always willing to have conversations with the people around us rather than I firmly believe like like you said yourself that the climate ministry would be focused on climate change, the tech ministry would be focused on things related to tech. So I understand that they'll have their own bias. But as a human and as a member of the society, you know it's like, we all want the greater good of this. Where the greater good would mean good for ourselves. So rather than complicating it, we can simplify it as much as we can. I know things and problems would still exist, but it's important to strive towards things that are more achievable, like the topic of today. Yeah, I understand. I think this this topic about making it simpler kind of goes against the, the the nuance argument we had last week, right? But that is exactly why I believe this is very, very important. For a person who's on the outside, an ignorant person or, or someone who is not available for any of this, the first bare minimum is you need to make it simple enough for them to understand. You have to lower the barrier of entry. But once you are inside, 
then it's your responsibility to build yourself up and make an informed opinion. And that's how I always believe it. We need to make it as simple as possible. Climate change, anything. Make it as simple as possible so that every layman understands the, the, the terminology and understands the impact and then slowly, slowly build upon it. Exactly how education works. Right? You start with two plus two, but by the time you reach high school, you're doing integration differentiation. Suddenly it becomes very complicated, but you're, you're very easy. You understand what's happening. And when you go to university, to PhD, it starts getting more complicated. The problem right now that I feel in the face of society at this utopia problem is that we only want the finished product. We're like, we want a society that functions well. We want this. We, there's, there's such a high barrier to entry that you don't, then you feel like in a limbo. You don't want to do anything. You're like, it's not going to happen at two degrees anyways. Like, what's the point, right? And uh, yes, it might not happen, as you said, for two degrees, but you can try to make it 1.5 degrees. You can try to make it uh, one point, uh, like 2.3 degrees or 2.5 degrees. You can try to get as close as possible to that thing. And there are different ways of doing it. Oh, how will I fight against the institutions who are doing it? Fast fashion, accordingly, takes up to 60% of the the world's freshwater resources, if you if you can imagine that. It's it's shocking. And we all wear clothes that are, that are based on fast fashion. So what do we do? Oh, we should boycott them. Yeah, we can boycott them, but that would not really make big of an impact to these kind of big companies. So that's where my institution aspect comes in again. So like you need to bring, bring policy changes from the top. But my main point is what I'm trying to say here is that it's it's very difficult to explain a difficult thing to someone without making it easier. And that ties in really well with what we're trying to do at us, at Russell, right? We're trying to make difficult conversations easier so that you can come in, join us, and then slowly, slowly build your opinion. So before we continue the next topic, which is going to be an example of an educated class still struggling like the US and the whole Afghanistan scenario that is happening. I want to ask you, is there something on your mind that you want to share first? Up till now, what we've discussed. Uh, again, I completely agree with you. It's important to uh, have the conversation starting. Uh, having no conversation is an even bigger evil, a bigger evil than we acknowledge. So for sure, the conversation has to be started. But it's also important not to oversimplify it. Again, that this is something that we completely agree on. And I think it's a huge evil in our society because when the far left and far right both try to do that, they try to oversimplify things. Uh, on one aspect, you'll see people getting cancelled. And again, <laughs> the far right cancelled as well, but they go to another extreme to do it. But again, that would be a digression. But it's important. Not to oversimplify it, simplify it enough that gets the conversation started. And it's important to get the conversation going, which is where the nuance comes Indeed, I think so as well. You can move on. Yes, I think as well. Uh, one final point before we move on to that, um, what you talked about with the uh, greater good of society. I think here the simplification, oversimplification, or even the nuance of the problem exasperates a little bit because what is greater good, right? So you look at climate change and you go like, okay, Climate change, ahad, it's, it's, it, we won't survive here. So it's the, the greatest good you can do here, right? But if you think about it, like uh, we, I was having this discussion in my philosophy circle here about climate change and everything. And they were like, yeah, but the earth doesn't work according to us. We are heating up the earth, but the earth was in an ice age for like millions of years before we came sometimes, right? So the earth will be fine. So we're not killing the earth. We're killing ourselves, basically, right? We're, we're making it inhabitable for us. It will survive. All of the species can go extinct, but it can make new species. It's 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 been doing it for billions of years. It will do it for the next billions of years till it dies. So, climate change is not for the earth. It's it's for us. And that kind of reframing of the mindset is is basically what we need. Then it doesn't become about two percent or three percent or something because, as you said, 
Then it doesn't matter what the what Earth's wildlife is a problem. It matters if how many people we can save in Bangladesh, which will probably drown or not. And that kind of reframing is sometimes very, very important because with this all-in-or-nothing mindset, we become very difficult. And that brings me to my major point that I wanted to make for so long is about utilitarianism. I'm a utilitarian at heart, right? And what I love about utilitarianism is that it makes it very, very simple, right? What is the goal you want to measure and then maximize it no matter what, right? A lot, a lot of people try to make it into a bad name saying that, okay, if you kill 1 million people today for 1 billion people to survive in, in the next 100 years, that's utilitarian. It is utilitarian if you think about it because if your maximum, if your, if your object that you're maximizing is human propagation or the amount of people living, then you have to kill those 1 million if you know for a fact that 1 billion will live afterwards because of that. So taking that into account of utilitarianism, how do you think we can deal with this, as I, as I said before as well, that this issue of having multiple policies and multiple agendas and multiple biases in an organization and like government who has to think for society, but how do they think of society is so multi-pronged? How can we use utilitarianism or just a little bit of focus to make people understand what the prioritization is? How do we prioritize so that we can work on those smaller goals? Do, do you think you have something to say about that? Uh, prioritize on a government? Yeah, but basically you want to focus on corruption, you want to focus on climate change, you want to focus on women's rights. What You have to focus on something to make society come up, right? You can't just make it come up with no reason, but if you try to not focus on one thing at a time, then you're also making half-assed efforts and your society is also not growing as, as expected or as, as potentially they can. I think it's very important, uh, again, it requires awareness in the sense that uh, we should be aware that what are the goals that can be achieved in a five-year term. And it's also important not to lose sight of the end goal, but we, they can uh, tell you that oh, what they can do in, the, in those five years. Like you mentioned about uh, the load shedding thing. This is something that can easily be done in five years and you can see the results. Obviously, that's different in a way because you can actually see the results, but when it's something that it's a change in constitution or the change you cannot see. Uh, you don't tend to uh, side with it or be influenced enough to vote for them again. So again, the problem doesn't arise that whether it's uh, motivation enough for them to change it and uh, help the people with not voting for them, there is no purpose for it. So it's important for the people to be aware of how much can be achieved and whether or not it can be done in those five years or not. It requires uh, things to be done from the institution level and things to be done on a micro level in order to achieve uh, the consciousness enough that people at least understand. Yeah, no, and I understand. I mean, let's move to the last element that we want to discuss. Uh, this element is about an example you gave to me when we were discussing this topic about how people want utopia they say no, say no to war, for example, right? They say no to war, war is not, uh, it's not supposed to be here in this day and age, we need to fix everything. And this is one of the reasons why the US pulled out of Afghanistan, supposedly, right? The the population was not happy with it. They were like, it's been 20 years since we've been in Afghanistan and it's not nice, bring the troops home, bring the troops home. And Donald Trump did that a lot because of the publicity it will get him, supposedly the votes that it will get him. But you argue against that now. I believe we need to go keep keep peeling the onion as back as we go. But you say, given that they already invaded, why do you think it was not good for them to to not stay in, in, in Afghanistan? I think uh, I am not pro-invading by any means. First of all, again, um, 
we're having the conversation when they've invaded and again right now they've already left so probably not the right time to be having the, that conversation but imagining us when they were uh, in Afghanistan I think uh, even the left was of the opinion that they should leave because uh, uh, like their personal freedoms are being harmed they're not it's like an alien is ruling them because uh, an American ruling them would have very different priorities. I understand that. But it's also important to understand what kind of place Afghanistan is. And again, I'm not claiming to be an expert and my knowledge and my understanding would be very limited. So I need to give, give that disclaimer. But from what I've read and I've understood, Afghanistan is a place that is very hard, mainly because of its geography, uh, the kind of uh, planes it has, the kind of uh, division it has. It's mainly rolled through small little groups and they travel in tribes and they live in they live in those groups and they have their small little leaders in those groups and they have a lot of power. What Taliban has done this time is they've made peace with all these leaders. So they're, they're sure that this time their reign stays for longer. So my point is the US has the capability to use their helicopters, state-of-the-art machinery to rule the entire province. And what they were doing for girls' education and making it a more progressive society in general, that cannot be done with anyone else ruling them. Uh, especially now that they've been ruled for uh, ruled by di uh, three different countries. So uh, I think the resources and the way they've been uh, handled, I think it's very important that the U.S. should have continued for a, for a, few, mu a few more years. Or, again, what they did was, again, that, that's their incapability that they weren't able to uh, make a government underneath them that would have been good enough to take things over after the left. Because what happens, what we've seen is uh, the people in power were easily moved by the Taliban. So, again, a lot of nuance is important over here, but I do think the U.S. should have stayed for a lot longer. Yeah, but for a little yeah well, let's try to tie that into why we thought that the people who were wanting this change were not thinking realistically and, and to our overarching topic of utopia, right? So, US was supposed to stay there for longer, supposedly, if you, if you want that, because it would be better for the Afghanis living there compared to what the, what's happening right now. But also, it would be better for the Americans who were thinking that it would be better to bring them home, right? So, from that perspective, because again, the issue was that the, the people, the population of America, which is more educated than Pakistan, for example, we're also thinking in utopian terms, right? They were like, no, no, say no to war. They don't understand the practical considerations of, of how Afghanistan is going to be now, given that it's given that. That's why I use the word given that because that's conditional. Given that it's been already invaded, what is the best course of action? And leaving was not the best course of action for the people living there. For the people who are there uh, abroad and who are making those decisions, who think that they're making the right decisions, they're also making it from a very, nuance, like not, not nuanced, but very simple uh, utopian term yeah. that you know what I want a life without uh, uh, this and a life without war and that that's what I'm going to get but as I said if I peel back the onion that the US invaded because of this reason and because Soviet invaded before that because Taliban before that like you know like it, it keeps it keeps going back all the way to colonial eras where uh, they always try to get there for oil or for control or for whatever reason so that nuance should be there of course but my main question again bringing back this, this whole anecdote was to bring it back that, okay, in Pakistan, the issue is that the society is not educated. So we cannot, we can only sell them utopia, right? 
We can only tell them that I'm gonna move, remove layer shading, you will never have to worry about it. Or I'm gonna remove corruption, you never have to worry about it. And you don't need to read the manifesto, you don't need to be involved in the politics because I got this. I'm selling this utopia. Yeah. But an educated country like the US also did this. Donald Trump did the same thing. That these guys and these guys do not know how to rule. I know how to rule. I've ruled so many businesses. I've bankrupt a lot of them. Apparently something that not many people focused on, but I I have I got this. I'm a businessman, I'm gonna run America like the business. And this very simpleton argument resonated with almost half the country. But then how is education the answer? Right? Then why is it people always just go for utopia? And that is basically the conversation I want to finish with. I think it's also important to understand that uh, not even education can give you a picture of something that is a thousand thousands of miles away from you. They cannot comprehend what a society like Afghanistan would be and what the requirements would they have. And probably they also underestimated the power of Taliban and probably how uh, I'm forgetting the name right now, but uh, the person who was ruling at that time. Anyways, uh, I think it's the another aspect about the soldiers that were there. I think a lot of them were tired of it. Like, weren't sitting there. So I also that a lot of people did want, especially the families whose uh, people were away for, for, to Afghanistan for such a long time and living a life that they were living, even though that's still probably better than an average of money. It's not like it's far, far from what the American dream, as they call it, is about. So I understand why they would still want it, but it's also important to uh, to ensure that, again, in a country like America that is impacting the entire world, the voices within America aren't, um, I, like they, they wouldn't give you the entire picture. It's important to get voices from across the country because they're invading multiple countries. They have influence in probably the whole world at this point. So it's important to have access to voices outside. Obviously, the government has to prioritize what their people want and their people would obviously want what the what is good for themselves. But again, the, the nuance here is important because Americans have so much influence outside their country. So things really changed. Uh, and that yeah I understand but that that is in essence the problem that we're facing with the dilemma that we're facing with it by the end of this conversation that even in an educated class like America utopia is a thing that they want because that's a utopia that they want and we can say that the utopia that you want is conditional on on the lives outside of your utopia because you have such much so much influence on on others right you have so much influence that you want to play the world's policeman because it helped you to play the world's policeman because you wanted world trade to flourish. That's how you were making money. You were exporting so many goods and services that you want other people to buy. You're exporting labor as well, uh, that you're ex- outsourcing your your supply chains to other countries where you're using cheap labor and then selling it to rich countries like the uh, like the US, uh, like Europe and, and East Asia. So utopia is only for you, but they believe it is only for them. And that makes it very difficult. That's point one. Point two is, being an educated class already in itself, having a dream of a utopia already seems like a, an oxymoron, right? Seems like a contradiction because if you're an educated class, you should know that you can never reach utopia. It's it's something that you can never reach. But even with an educated class, you feel see, see this issue. So I want to bring it full circle, our conversation from the start. How do we deal with society 
and this innate notion of utopia. Because if you think about it from a religious point of view or a culture point of view, we've all been told utopias throughout. In every religion in the world, there's a heaven. In every religion in the world, there is some kind of utopia. Even in Buddhism, where there is no heaven, there is moksha, right? There is nirvana. There is this uh, concept of of you getting released into the world as as energy at the end of your uh, suffering. So there's always this end goal that we look forward to. And I believe this this conditioning of society for this end goal is the reason now we only think in end goals. That this utopia is the only thing that I want and I do not know how practical it's going to be. I do not know how I'm going to reach that utopia, but that is exactly what I want. Be it educated enough. So how do we explain to people that this is not what you want? And how do we make it better? Just to close off the conversation. I think uh, I would also... Uh use something that I said in the previous podcast, uh, which is that you can, if you empower the common man, and the common man, by if we're, for example, talking about America, it's important that the power goes to the people that are suffering. Like we're talking, if we're talking about climate change, and Bangladesh is, the, uh, is a country that would suffer immediately as a result. So if we can get the power to those people and hear what they're trying to say. Again, I would uh, like to give the example of Pakistan, uh, the floods that we had last year. Normally, it's something, it's a conversation that, like, that just goes uh, out of the box, like, if we bring it to the UN or uh, global world as a whole. It's something that people don't care about as much as issues that are related to the first world country. But as a result of constant efforts and hearing these people out, these climate conferences, I know we have a lot of reservations and I too have reservations, but the fact that we were heard in those conferences was, it resulted into these countries agreeing to give us, uh, I wouldn't say uh, the sum of money was enough to cat, uh, cater these problems, but there was something. They, a lot of countries did pledge to come ahead and contribute for us. So again, it's very, very important to give power to the people that are actually being affected. This is something we can do on our, oh, like on a micro level as well, but on even on a political and a global level, it's important to get these voices heard. It's, if we're talking about Afghanistan, it's important to hear what the Afghanis want. If they do want to have be ruled by Taliban, it's fine. Again, it's also important to get the right view and get the right opinion on it. But it's also important not to forget that their opinion counts a lot more than yours. So again, it's a long process and it's a very complicated one. But uh, it's also important that rather than being focused on something that is unachievable, we should also highlight the goals that we do achieve. The small little goals that we do achieve, they should be appreciated. They should be celebrated uh, to the point that we know that something has been achieved and not get hyper-focused on the end goal, as I spoke earlier. No, I understand. But the only thing that is still bothering me is how to deal with this uh, this balance of, of hearing people's opinions, but knowing that their opinions are flawed. So, like, there's the utopian beliefs. So you want to give them the, the notion, right? You want to give them the weightage because they're the ones who are being affected. But for example, the Bangladesh says uh, that we're drowning and we want billions and billions of, uh, of dollars to build floodgates and uh, you guys need to give us aid and food and all of that stuff and uh, also give us jobs and whatever. Like, think of a very unreasonable request, right? 
everyone will be like, that's very unreasonable. You're looking for your dream state. You cannot get a dream state. We need to fix something, something. But then you'll be like, hey, they're the ones who are suffering. You need to listen to it. And this is exactly how utopia is sold, right? It's exactly, that's how Donald Trump got into, got into power. That's why Malcolm got into power because he was selling that utopia to the people who were suffering. And they thought, oh, we're being heard. But it wasn't being heard for the right reason. He was like, America first. We'll bring the jobs back, right? He was saying all of those things. But did he? Not much, right? But because the people wanted it back, he, he abused that notion of utopia to get into power. And that's my main struggle still by the end of this podcast. And I don't know if you have an answer for this, but how do you tell people what they need to love, need to want without compromising on their own ability to know what they want? I think it's very important to start as early as you can. The sooner you hear them, the better it is. I know, I understand that uh, if you're helping a country that is far, far from the education you would want, but it's also important that we don't consider them stupid. The the common notion that uh, like this is something that I've been hearing since I've been a child. Okay, if you help a poor, give them some money, they would probably buy drugs. That is a very flawed analogy in my, in my opinion. Like people, like they're not that stupid. They know that food is important for them. I know some some of them might still do that, but a major chunk of them would understand that. It's very important for them to get food, especially if they have small kids. They know it's important to feed them. So I think I know that it's very hard that if you give them money, that 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 would be used in the best possible way. But it's, it's important to hear them now. If you're asking them or if you're offering them help when they're already drowning, yeah, probably you wouldn't get the best result. So the sooner you start to do it, again, I'm not saying it's, I'm not trying to sell sell utopia either. So I know there will be a lot of complications. But if you start right now and you give power to the people that are actually being affected, I think that can make a world of it. And it's still better than selling uh, them utopia or selling your people utopia, which wouldn't guarantee you the results that you really want. I, I understand. I think this was a wonderful conversation, Walasir, uh, and I think this was a wonderful end to the conversation. I think... The only part that I would uh, like to add upon is, uh, but that is a digression, but uh, about the, if you give poor people money uh, part, uh, I you know how I feel about that. I think systems are very important. So if you give poor people uh, the ability to make money, it's more than giving them money. And uh, that part goes part in the fact that you want to support, build systems around them. A good example would be my mom wants to, uh, basically this person I know who is not that uh, settled and has a husband who's very abusive, so she wants to leave the house and everything. The mom's like, can you guys think if you, can you guys ask your friends and buy our house? I'm like, yeah, we can buy our house, for example, which is very unrealistic. Like, What's she going to do with that house? What is she going to do with that house? Isn't it better to buy her something that she can work with? She's like, yeah, she knows how to sew. So if you, I'm like, yeah, if you buy her a sewing machine, then she can sell clothes and make clothes and then be able to, that money, she can leave the house herself whenever she's ready, right? And that, that element of helping someone versus letting them help themselves is also a separate topic for a separate day, but I really wanted to mention it that uh, it does it does come into my mind a lot when we talk about this uh, this perfect notion of a human being because it's just exactly like our utopia for society is. We also have a utopia for our personal selves, right? That we want to be the helper, we want to be the supporter. Yeah, but that 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 example actually leads very much uh, into the Afghanistan the thing that if USA made sure that they become self-sustainable. They, they they could have left 
I'm not saying they shouldn't have, they, they should have stayed forever. But if they had they left at the point where they were self-sustainable and they were, the government after it would have been sustainable in the sense that they can cater for the people and ensure girls' education and all the progressive things that they did, that would have been fine. So I think that there, there's the part that the nuance is important. I'm not saying U.S. should stay forever, but it should stay long enough to for Afghanistan. Yeah, but I I think I think U.S. never wanted to like it was never part of their agenda to make itself sustaining. It was only the agenda to find someone or reduce terrorist activities or whatever we we, we want to believe. I do not really need to say what the U.S. wanted, but I do know for a fact that self-sustaining was not really on top of their list, and that is yeah, their goals. Yeah, so that's that's again the same problem, right? Your goals keep changing. You always go for this end goal that if I get the terrorist, I'm done. But what about these small iterative goals? So I think this was a wonderful conversation and I really like the end. I think the ending, we got a little bit more excited. We got to talk a little bit more about the stuff. And I think that's the most important part. And uh, I would like to thank you so much, Mudassir, for your time and uh, your energy. And I think this was a lot of fun. For those who uh, want to follow us, we are on all the major platforms. You can also sign up for our newsletter where the summary of this podcast will be and there will be more external links so that whatever me and Mudassir are saying, which is incorrect, might be rectified there in, in a certain more fact-checked article. Uh, and of course, you can feel free to uh, talk to us through all those uh, social media platforms. But let's see, where can people find you? Uh, I'm not that active on Twitter anymore, but I'm still there. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm forgetting my username right now. I think it's still Mudassir. <laughs> but in the next podcast, you'll... Yes, but we'll add that to the show notes as well. So then anyone who's interested in following Mudassir on Twitter, you can follow them on Twitter and then uh, you will be able to have a conversation with them. So thank you so much, Mudassir, for your time. So thank you. And thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye.